0: invite you to pray with me Lord Jesus we praise you that you love us that your compassion for us covers over our sin and our brokenness you're a God who goes the way of sacrifice in our place dying in our place rising again to new life to offer that grace and that gift to all Lord, thank you for that gift and thank you for redefining our lives and what really matters here today And we ask you and continue to ask you in response to your incredible outpouring in our lives. Lord, what would you have us do? Keep leading us, guiding us in these important days. Individually, as families, but also as one family called St. John Lutheran Church and School. So lead us, we pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We've been spending an important time in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Reminded that where would we be today without the legacy of those who have gone before us. And that legacy of faithfulness through the lives of God's people of throughout generations, not only in recent history, uh, it's going back almost 100 years in our congregation, but going back further uh, in time, all the way back to days like the Reformation and grace alone, faith alone, through God's Word alone, even back further than that to God's faithfulness and a Messiah that would come in Jesus who prays that we might be one so that the world would know that he is the one sent by the Father. But we can go even further back, as we have been, through the book of Nehemiah, and to see that even through Nehemiah's ministry, as many scholars believe, Nehemiah's ministry is really a, a, a picture of what Jesus, as Messiah, would accomplish for his people. A God who has compassion on the circumstances and the brokenness and the circumstances that would lead to despair, and yet, What does Nehemiah do? And we have saw this even turn there uh, to review a little bit how we've gotten to where we are today. Uh, If we open up our our, our worship Bibles to Nehemiah and and just page through what we've covered so far. Nehemiah hears word of of the the broken condition of Jerusalem. His homeland. He's he's been in exile with his people and yet God has positioned him uh, with a position uh, working for the king Artaxerxes of the Persian Empire that puts him in a position to do something about the condition of his people. He's broken about it, though. He weeps when he hears word of of the walls of Jerusalem being dilapidated and and, and broken down and the gates being burned with fire. He goes in prayer before the Lord and spends time in prayer, asking God, what would you have me do? And give me courage, give me boldness as he goes before the king. And and provisions and a plan starts to unfold. And, And Nehemiah just doesn't stay far away from the the brokenness, like our Savior Jesus, who has brokenness and and is in despair over the sinful condition and the brokenness of humanity. Jesus doesn't just stay back and, and, and weep from a distance. No, what does he do? He comes to do something about it. And he enters into the brokenness of humanity as our Savior. Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem, and he inspects that broken condition of the walls of Jerusalem. He inspects them by night, goes, and then he finally shares a vision for what might be possible. A Savior who preaches the kingdom of God has come near and preaches that God has come to build up his people. Nehemiah shares this vision, and I love in, in chapter 2 this great place where Nehemiah is, is preaching in verse 17. He says, I, I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, I love this line, let us start building. So they began, as it says, they began this good work. It's not just a work, a ho hum okay, I guess we'll go about this half. No, it says they began together. Because they realized what could be. Nehemiah goes on, and, and as Pastor Steve led us last weekend, this, this does not happen without challenges. There are external challenges and threats against the rebuilding. It is, it is not wanted uh, among uh, others in the area, but also the internal conflict that arises of 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 being discouraged or, or wondering, are, are, can we possibly do this? I mean, how, how how do we know this is even worth time and our our efforts? And 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 then we see too. What makes all of this work already seem evident and worthwhile is the fact that everyone is re- helping with the rebuilding in Jerusalem. And it it says that in in chapter three, like verse twenty three, there it says Benjamin and Hassub and. Made repairs in front of their houses next to them. Azariah, son of uh, Maaziah, uh, the son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house and next to him. And it goes on and on that you, you see what's happening is in their own neighborhoods, in, in areas that matter to them, they are stepping forward to rebuild together. There's a, a sense of community and a sense that it matters how we are rebuilding because all of us are being affected and everyone's work is affecting the others because together they are making a step of faith, trusting in God to do, as we're going to find out in later chapters, to do what only God could do. This is not going to happen because of human effort. It's going to happen because the interaction of Almighty God making possible what those around them say, this is not possible, and yet truly they must have a God who is real. Because of what he's accomplished among them. Now this rebuilding continues. Again the challenges on the outside. Challenges on the inside. And then we get to chapter 5. And as the bricks and mortar are coming together. We face a dilemma. A major one among God's people of Judah. There in Jerusalem. Get to chapter 5 and we find out. And I'll read it to you. Chapter 5 beginning with verse 1. It says that now the men... And their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. What they're saying is, we've got we to still shop at Kroger. I mean, come on. And, and others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards, although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Now, here's what's going on. Put this in the, the economic realities of what was happening in Jerusalem. So you have people returning from exile uh, to their homeland, and yet economically things are not good. And, and the more people that return to, to Jerusalem who are taking part in the rebuilding and as families are reuniting and as, as the community is growing, what's happening is the resources are limited. And, and those that are, are, are well off are... are, are Generously, you might say, contributing to the help of their brothers, except they're doing so at a high interest rate. And they're also doing it by way of if someone is in need of food, well, guess what? I'll give you food, but you're going to have to give me part of your land. And more and more people were mortgaging their resources off in order just to survive and eat. And they're doing this to one another. They're forgetting the Old Testament. God earlier had said, never do this to one another. Don't charge high interest to one another. Don't, uh, don't put, enslave another family member, a brother or sister, in, in order to pay back debt. He's like, may it not be among you. And yet this, is w- this practice had been developed. And you can feel the discouragement that is going on. Is You've got people within the body that are in need while there are others that are doing just fine. And they're doing great. And meanwhile, they're all joining together Rebuilding the bricks and mortar and yet people at the same time are suffering and struggling. You may remember this. As a kid, did you ever learn this? Here's the church, here's the steeple, you open the doors and you see all the people. And you've maybe heard me say this before, I remember learning it as a kid It sounded good. Here's the church steeple, open door, see all the people. Until I grew up and started reading the Bible. And I realized that this is actually absolutely not true. When scripture talks about the church, it never once mentions this. It actually mentions this. Do you know what I mean by that? That when when we talk about building the kingdom of God, What matters is not this. What matters is this. And we see it in Nehemiah. That while this rebuilding of this important wall, you can't get past it. The the walls of Jerusalem are going to be important. They are walls of security, walls of safety, walls of of their future that are going to ensure future generations. But ultimately, we see a bigger picture going on here is what really matters is people and relationships. And caring for those that are nearest to us to make sure that their needs are being met. To to see a brother in need and to just say, hey, I'll pray for you, but do nothing about it. May it not be among God's people. But that rather a heart of loving compassion would pervade his community. All the way back in the Old Testament, we see a a glimpse of this. Uh, Nehemiah, guess what his reaction to this is? It says, he got angry. Um, vexed in spirit he he was uh, he was ticked to say the least in fact he calls together all of those who had means those who were holding mortgages and high interest over others and 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 he he lets them have it and and it says that their response was like crickets because they realized he was right they realized they had been not operating from a place of compassion and love and this changes Nehemiah brings about a change. I picture Jesus walking in, into the temple and upturning the, uh, the money changers. He's like, may it not be in my father's house. You've turned it into a den of robbers, and, and he turns it upside down. Our Savior Jesus says in our gospel reading, there he is, and he's preaching the kingdom, and people have come out, and, and he says to his disciples, hey, feed them. And, and the disciples are like, how are we going to do that? We don't have enough money to buy all the food, but not only that, where's the food? And and with that, there's a little boy that comes forward and says, "Well, I got, I got some bread, I got a few fish. And, and, and you can almost feel the nervous laughter like, well, like, that's going to help, right? And, and yet, what does Jesus do? He takes that moment and that beautiful picture of generosity from a boy. And God does what only God can do to provide loving compassion to a crowd that gets fed, even when there's no McDonald's anywhere near them. He provides for their needs, a God who is known as one who goes among the people in need with compassion and love and is there to share in word and deed the message of salvation. Nehemiah says, May it not be. And and what changes, and I love this a little later in the chapter you get to verse 17. Not only does the work continue in the midst of this, but the needs of God's people are also being met within the city. They no longer are operating excluding one another. They start loving and caring for each other and and truly providing for one another. We even see Nehemiah isn't just talking about it. He's living it. it. It says that in verse 17, furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. I mean, picture this. Nehemiah opens up what, in essence, is a soup kitchen daily, feeding not only people who are officials, but the intermingling of everybody. There's no class system anymore. He invites all people to come and feast together. And he provides the food. He even tells us what what was on the menu during those days in later verses. This beautiful picture in in that culture, and it's been true in many cultures, the the beauty of gathering around a table together that builds a sense of unity and a connection with one another. And and Jesus even says this too. We hear it in God's word and in the promises of God who brings us around a table in communion fellowship. We're going to share in that in a little bit. It draws us together in the compassionate love of our God who feeds us. With his grace and his love, and releases us to to be that love and compassion to one another. It's a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be in community as his people. Not as this, but as this. Now, share all of that because, in the midst of it, you know, we've heard this from some, and, you know, why would we do this big project? I mean, what, is it, how can we keep doing ministry if we do this big project? And, and I think it's important to point out that, you know, when we go forward with a big project like this, it really is intended not to say, okay, I'm going to, we're asking you to divert your regular giving and give it all to bricks and mortar because that's what matters now. Well, what would happen if we did that? We could build something wonderful, but meanwhile, what happens? Ministry starts to shrink. We're not able to keep ongoing compassionate ministry among us going. And, and, and I mean that because really all ministry we do is compassionate ministry in the love of Christ. Whether it's serving the needs of children and kids and families in our school. Whether it's a, a, a grief group that meets here on Saturday mornings. And oh, sorry, we're going to have to turn the lights off because we can't afford our electric bill. I mean, we can't stop that. You know, we don't just stop doing ministry in order to continue building the wall. It's a both and. And, and. and buildings aren't ministry. But they are tools for ministry. And we're at a point in our history as God's people. To make a huge step. To make a difference in this way. That enables even more compassionate ministry. To continue for the future. And I've heard it from a lot. Like, well how can this possibly be? How could our congregation afford to do any of this? Well, I look back at the early church, and if you want to turn there with me and you think of Jesus had prayed, prayed that they might be one, so that the world would know. And, and you see these pictures. We saw a picture from Acts 2 last week, and now uh, today in Acts 4, if you want to even look in your worship folder. I mean, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see this, the preaching of the gospel, the message of salvation in Jesus. And with that comes this compassionate ministry to see people around one another that are in need and to be able to share not only the love of Jesus and the message of Christ, but also compassionate resources as well. It says, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that There were no needy persons among them. I mean, can you imagine that? No one who was needy. No one who was in a broken place. Think about how uh, just recently we took offerings up to to gather for hurricane victims and the the incredible generosity that came as a result of that. And a check, a large check that was sent down to Resurrection Lutheran Church in Houston. And uh, I've heard word they're using those resources to help flood victims uh, because under flood situations, insurance companies come in and they uh, double or quadruple du- deductibles during mass events like that. And, and you've got people who have deductibles like $4,000, $5,000 they can't afford and much less afford the other just tangible things on a daily basis like what do we do? And, and uh, resurrection is helping people even with their deductibles to help them just get caught up in some possible way to make a difference That's compassionate ministry in a very tangible way. Here we have, in the early church, known any persons among them, and from time to time, those who owned a land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. I mean, what a beautiful picture of what the church looks like. Think about how the Love for Others Fund works, and the families that come to us and often say, no, 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 we, we could never ask, and we say, but this is why we have assistance available in our ministry to make a difference. And often it might be we, we help somebody with rent or we help somebody with a mortgage payment. How does this happen? It happens as God's people continue to make a difference in the ongoing ministry of the gospel among us. I know this has been a big thing and, and it's been a long time maybe in our, in our history as a congregation where we've been as this intentional about something financial. And I get that. It's scary. It's it might be stressful, it might bring anxiety, it might bring frustration, like why do we have to do this? And, and yet at the same time, God has given us an opportunity to be a congregation, a church, and a school to, to take a step together, and I say this, together, and it's going to look different in everyone's house of what that over and above our regular giving looks like. It, it might be in your house, hey, we, we asked that question, we, we aren't regular givers. And here's that opportunity to say, you know what, let's... Let's take that step to become regular givers to the ongoing ministry. You know what? That's a big win for the kingdom, and I believe it's a big win in our faith walk with the Lord to start there. One legacy removed from that, that's a step for you. But maybe for you, you've been giving, and and that, that level has been the same for years. And maybe God is saying, maybe it's time to look differently at this. I love the, this picture. We shared this some months ago, and this has been helpful in our family just to think about this. I know for my wife and I, we first got married, we knew what we had, and it wasn't much. Basically, a collection of all the stuff we inherited from our families and, and moving into an apartment with used furniture and everything. We knew what we had, and, and that we also knew what we wanted. One day we wanted to get into a house, and we wanted to have new furniture, and we wanted all those things, and and that desire for what we had, or the stuff we had, but also the desire for what we wanted, which for us, early on, became a discontentment zone. Uh, We were discontent until we got to that new level, and and the interesting thing was, as time went on and incomes increased, well, guess what? What we had increased, but then what we wanted also increased, and then we had this new discontentment zone, like, well, one day... We'll arrive and we'll have what we really want. And, and it's always elusive. And, and I look back in Scripture and you just see how God teaches us to be reminded. It all comes from Him. Everything is a gift. And, and ultimately, if it belongs to Him, he, he invites us to look at it differently. What does contentment look like in each of our houses? And, and what I mean by that is analyzing what we have... But then also taking a closer look to say, well, what do we really need? And, and what happens in those, between those two is that forms in God's kingdom and among his people a generosity zone. And like I say, it's going to look different in all of our houses, but it's a, it's a freeing kind of thing. It allows us not to live like this with clenched fists because I want I, to I hold on to everything I have, but rather it allows us to open our hands to say, Lord, what would you have us do? For times such as this, To make a difference in the ongoing compassion and and loving difference you make among people. But also in order to step forward as a congregation to continue uh, what may be possible for our future as we trust in the Lord. Maybe more than ever. Uh, You know that's not a I have to. No it's I get to. It's an exciting time to be part of a family known as St. John. And to trust in our Lord just like they did back in Nehemiah's day. Lord what might be possible as we together trust in you and take a step of faith. In such a time. Let's pray about that. Lord Jesus we praise you. For the ways you continue to impact lives. Through the ongoing ministry of our church and our school. Lord we thank you for. Examples like 4,000 baptisms that have occurred since. You first brought our church and school together. We thank you for the testimony of faith. We thank you for the ongoing gifts of, of loving compassion and generosity among us. And Lord, in these days, as we continue to ask you, what would you have us do in response to what you have done and in response to your incredible love and outpouring and in response to that reality that everything is from you, Lord? May we be faithful in these days. Teach us what that looks like in each of our homes. to Seek you and then together make a huge step of faith for the eternity of what you are doing among your people not only those who already know, but those who haven't yet come among us to know that incredible gift. Bless us beyond measure, we pray, Jesus, now and always. Amen. Amen.